Welcome to episode 15 of the RMD podcast from Reverse Mortgage Daily. I'm Chris Clow, editor of RMD. In this episode, we sit down with Shelly Giordano of Enterprise Integration at Mutual of Omaha Mortgage and co-founder of the Academy for Home Equity and Financial Planning to discuss the journey that the Academy has taken in trying to inform consumers and financial professionals about the potential benefits that can come about with the release of home equity. Formerly known as the Funding Longevity Task Force before its shift to its current home at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, the Academy's mission is to help provide American seniors with a rational and objective understanding of the role that housing wealth can play in planning for retirement. Shelley and I speak about the origin of the Academy, how the reverse mortgage industry has adopted some of its practices, her own origin story when it comes to becoming involved in the reverse mortgage landscape, and more. Hope you enjoy it. Shelly, thank you so much for joining me today on the RMD podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time. Oh, my pleasure, Chris. And before we get started here, I just want to thank you for your vigilance. You are always uh, reporting what is relevant, not only to our industry, but you manage to stay on top of what's going on in, in retirement in general, and, and you do a great job. So really happy to be here. Oh, well, I really appreciate that. Thank you, Shelley. Before we actually get into the heart of the conversation about the Academy, tell me more about yourself and how you got into the sort of orbit of reverse mortgages, because I know that it's not often typical pathways that people take to ultimately get into this industry. So I'm wondering what yours was. Uh, Yeah, you're right about that. I just, you know, fell into it, just like you described. Most of us have ended up in the industry, and it was, I can't believe it, over 20 years ago. So my story is, actually, I had stayed home for a whole decade with my three children, and I, like many moms, got so involved in volunteer events like auctions and field days and fashion shows and school dances. And I was soccer coach for five years. So I had some visibility in the community. And there was a a, a real estate lawyer who was starting his own company in reverse mortgages. And he just called me up and said, you know, I think he'd be really good talking to, you know, older people. It'd be just part-time, whatever, whatever you want to do. So I, my two youngest, her twins, were now in the second grade. And I said, yeah, that, that sounds good. I think I'll, I'll give that a shot. Well, of course, my first client, you know, I still remember Mrs. Burns, just absolutely tore my heart out. And so I've been committed you know, since, since then. But that's, you know, my story is not unusual. That's pretty much what has happened to everybody who's been involved with reverse mortgage. You just get so connected to the people that, that you're helping. So that's how it got started. Yeah, you know, that is kind of a through line that I've noticed in talking to a lot of people about how they get into the industry. If you already are predisposed to that kind of consultative mindset, then it seems like kind of a natural step to take for a lot of people. So that's very understandable. Well, let's move on to the Academy. Obviously, you know, things have been shifting over the last year or so with the Academy, but you were its founder. So I'm wondering how the creation of the Academy came about in its first incarnation. Can you tell me about that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I actually co-founded it with Tori Larson, whose role in this was so important. But so I love telling the origin story of the Academy of Home Equity and Financial Planning. It really started for me, believe it or not, it was either 2005 or 2006. 
And I was at a NERMLA meeting in San Francisco, and there was a back table with a couple of sheets of paper on it. And I'm just, I'm just, I can't, I'm always reading. So I just picked it up. It was a little white paper written by somebody named Barry Sachs. I mean, we didn't, didn't say that he was a PhD or that he had a, a law degree from Harvard and was a, a tax and benefit lawyer. He didn't say anything. He just said Barry Sachs. But the topic was so compelling and it was, it was really just a simple approach. And it was basically, which we've all come to know now, that if you can avoid selling out of your retirement portfolio when it was down in value, that that's just hugely protective of the portfolio, which, you know, you're trying to rely on over many years of retirement. And so he had made the leap there that you needed a, a, a different asset, which we now call, you know, a buffer asset or an alternative asset or a non-coordinated asset, the housing asset or in, a, in the form of a reverse mortgage. So, Chris, I got to tell you, I knew nothing about financial planning. I mean, absolutely nothing. But I did know, just like everybody else out there, that when you're dealing with money, you want to buy low and sell high. I mean, we figure that out in kindergarten, right? So this concept of looking for a, a solution or a strategy or a way to avoid or mitigate having to sell your invested funds when they were down in value and what that actually did over time was just a huge eye-opener for me. And so you know, from the very beginning of working with reverse mortgages, I, I had the same experience that maybe you've had, uh, but I know our loan officers have. And that is when you tell your friends or your family or somebody at a cocktail party that you're in reverse mortgages, they, they're stricken. They, you know, if you're at a cocktail party, you're looking over your shoulder going, who can I talk to besides this person who's in reverse mortgages? So, from the very, very beginning, I was always looking for a reason that stood by itself to have a reverse mortgage that didn't have something to do with people being at the very end of their ropes financially. Not that we don't want to help people who are in that situation, but I was looking for a reason that it was smart to take out a reverse mortgage or at least know about a reverse mortgage or, or know of a way that you could use a reverse mortgage that made sense in and of itself and was not a rescue. Sure. I think that that makes yeah. a lot of sense just in terms of trying to broaden the base of borrowers. I think it's a pretty natural step to take. So the organization basically came out of that. And what did you see as the primary way that the the organization itself would be able to facilitate that, just bringing in yeah, so more academic so just, perspectives. To, so just to continue with the origin, in 2012, I think it was, Dr. Sachs and, and John Salter's team at Texas University, Harold Levinsky, Texas Tech University, published their seminal papers in the journal for the FPA. So this idea of, of using the home as an alternative asset, you know, had its first bloom, so to speak. But not long after that, I was just searching around online and I came across a really great paper on sequence of returns risk and its evil twin, which is known as reverse dollar cost averaging. So after I read that paper, I really understood what was going on. 
And we started teaching loan officers these concepts. And so I'm happy to say, you know, seven years later, just about every company in the industry has adopted sequence of returns risk and, and, and these ideas of using the home as an alternative asset. You know, the entire industry really is doing it, which is wonderful. But anyway, to go back to how we actually got together, Tori Larson, who is now the president of Mutual Home Home Mortgage, asked me, he said, Shelly, you know, you just love this topic so much. Can you get these eggheads, as we affectionately call them, to just come together in our office in San Diego and let's just have a conversation? I was like, oh, <laughs> I don't know. And I just remember it so clearly because I was in British, the Rockies in British Columbia and just the spottiest cell phone. But anyway, I was able to track everybody down that called me back. And so our initial group, obviously, Dr. Sachs, John Salter, Rita Chang, and Dr. Sander, Sander Timmerman, as well as one of the professors from the Boston College Retirement Resource Center, came together, and we just had a conversation. And everybody agreed that we needed to pool our efforts and see what we could do about changing the media treatment, as well as you know outreach to financial advisors to start thinking about um, the house as, as part of the retirement planning. So Dr. Uh, John Salter ultimately led us to Dr. Wade Chow, you know, who's just so well-respected in the financial planning industry and reporters. And then Dr. Fow led us to Jamie Hopkins. And then Jamie Hopkins ultimately led us to Dr. Craig Lemoyne. And so we transitioned or evolved from being a task force where we had a specific goal and we're now, you know, a full-fledged academy at a well-regarded university under the direction of Dr. Craig Lemoore. So that's the story. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Speaking broadly, of course, because there's a lot of history to cover since the, uh, the establishment of the academy. What would you classify as some of the academy's biggest accomplishments? Well, I mean, without a doubt, the number one accomplishment is that we have megaphones, the embodiment of people like Wade Fowle and Jamie Hopkins and Barry Sachs and Craig LeMoyne. These are experts in the retirement income, the, the academic world. I mean, they, they have done the research. They've got the map and science, as Curtis Gluck says to really describe how the housing asset can improve retirement income security, protect that portfolio because of our reliance on, you know, our own, our own efforts, our own savings now. So to have them do our talking for us allows us to have a much more sophisticated and nuanced conversation, not only with our clients, but with uh, you know, our referral partners and financial advisors in particular. So it's much less, as you mentioned at the start of the session here, Chris, it's much less a transactional exchange between the loan officer and the referring partner and or the client, but it's, it's much more focused on an overall attempt to help people achieve financial well-being and peace of mind, you know, throughout retirement. So that is the number one thing to have to have that math and science behind us and to have these luminaries be able to speak for the wisdom of using housing wealth is something that is just incredibly proud of. Number two, I would say that the media conversation, although it's still not perfect, we still get a lot of cheap shots, especially with the headline. It, it, you know, it's always amazing to me that the headline 
shows something really negative about reverse mortgages. And then you go to read the article and it's mostly positive, but um, I would say in general, the media is just, is much more even handed. I was having a, my third call with a reporter last month and she said to me, you know, Shelly, I was talking to my husband last night and I was like, the minute I turn 62, I'm setting up one of these lines of credit. Why wouldn't anybody do that? So that was, that was a great victory. Sure. Um, and I think our third accomplishment really is that, that, you know, our efforts collectively have put advisors on notice that ignoring the house in retirement really isn't in the client's best interest. You know, just to say, I don't touch the house, I don't look at the house, that just doesn't fly anymore. I mean, particular, in particular with the, you know, the, although advisors don't necessarily have a fiduciary duty, it depends on what kind of advisor they are and that sort of thing. The trajectory to having a greater standard of care approaching a fiduciary responsibility is, is definitely toward greater care and accountability rather than lesser. So those are the three biggies, I'd say. Excellent. No, I really appreciate that perspective. And you've already touched on this a little bit, but obviously when I first became aware of the organization, it was known as the Funding Longevity Task Force and adopted its current name and home at University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign just over a year ago. In that time, how would you say that the organization has most evolved since it started uh, hanging its hat at UIUC, so to speak? Well, I mean, it, it just adds greater credence to what we're saying and what our members are saying to be under the aegis, you know, a university, Academy of Home Equity and Financial Planning at the University of Illinois. And so that, you know, in and of itself, I think is probably the greatest change that we've had. And, you know, we're also delighted to be able to share support of the Academy with our sister companies, Longbridge and FAR. So the work that that comes out of, that comes out from you know books being published by Dr. Fow or papers being published by Barry Sachs and Pete Newworth. There's going to be a paper by Barbara Stuckey. The absolutely incredible YouTubes that are are sort of the specialty of Jamie Hopkins. All of these things together are, uh, you know, we support one another. The industry is supporting what we're doing and it's paid off. You know, we're out there talking about the same things and the more of us who are talking about the same thing, the greater penetration is finally going to dawn on both consumers and financial advisors that they need to not be thinking about reverse mortgages maybe in the original way that they viewed them. Mm -hmm. Sure. Well, uh, as we were planning for this discussion, you mentioned that the Academy has helped to create some practices for the reverse mortgage industry that the business has started to adapt on a wider scale, particularly in all of the craziness that everybody is experiencing right now. What more can you tell me about some of those practices? Well, so we just published today, actually, a survey done by the Academy, Dr. Craig Lemoyne, and uh, financial advisors and, the, and their practices with home, with credit decisions broadly. But of course, we're interested in reverse mortgages. And so the conclusion to that is that the more experienced and the more educated 
the advisor is, the greater facility he has, he or she has with making credit recommendations overall, like, you know, should you refinance your mortgage to a lower interest rate or should you use a, a HELOC for, to take out your credit card debt, that sort of thing, and reverse mortgages. The, the greater the experience and the greater the education, the more comfortable the advisor is in recommending a reverse mortgage. So that, that leads us to the, the idea that, you know, education <laughs> just as in anything continues to be what's necessary to change people from, you know, what they thought they knew about. But, you know, the sad thing is everybody thinks they know something about reverse mortgages, but, you know, they don't, they don't know where they got the information. They just kind of grew up thinking the bank gets the house or, you know, mm-hmm. well, that sort of thing. So anyway, so, you know, education always in the end is the antidote to ignoring home equity as, as, as part of financial planning. Mm-hmm. Sure. Obviously, we find ourselves in a very strange circumstance, not only in the United States, but across the planet right now with the the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic. How would you say that the pandemic has affected the mission or scope of both the academy specifically, but also the reverse mortgage industry at large? Yeah. You know, for the loan officers out there, we just know again and again that there's really no substitute for sitting across from a financial advisor and having a conversation about a reverse mortgage, face-to-face, belly-to-belly, we call it. Because all of us have seen that aha moment, you know. So we're all, you know, just having to adapt. So, like, for example, here at the Mutual Omaha, we're trying to help our loan officers master the art of virtual selling. In fact, there's a new book out, which is our, our August book club read, which is called Virtual Selling. So, you know, we, like everybody else, are trying to figure out how to be relevant in a post-COVID world. But what's interesting is that the planners have to adapt as well. I mean, everybody's having to adapt. So I'll just give you an example. Recently, my, my husband, who has his client review with his financial planner, money guy, twice a year, you know, either goes to his office or the, or the guy comes to our house. And I walked out and was sitting, and he was sitting on the porch with his phone, and he was having a Zoom client review, <laughs> you know, and he was watching the figures and everything on his phone. So, you know, we are in total alignment with what the financial advisors are trying to do, which is stay relevant to their clients, you know, through virtual means, as we are trying to do with them. And, mm-hmm. and you know, and, and then when you get down to the client end of things, obviously, folks are doing all kinds of things, but there's been a general acceptance of, you know, grandparents are doing Zoom meetings with their grandchildren and Zoom meetings, you know, Zoom cocktail parties and Zoom this and Zoom that. And so there is, you know, a lot of acceptance. I I believe we're all in it together. So. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, um, obviously, anytime new opportunities arise, there are also new kinds of challenges that can rise at the same time. What kinds of new educational challenges do you think are presented by the pandemic? And do you think they might stick around after the pandemic starts to subside? Knock on wood, or are they yeah. here to stay yeah. for a while? Well, gosh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't try to predict uh, something like, I mean, who knows? But it is a, it, it is a curious question, Chris, because, you know, I have 
children whose work now has been from home and they like it. (laughs) You know, I thought that they would really hate it, but, you know, not having to get on the freeway in, in LA, for example, every day and be able to do a lot of work from uh, you know, and Zoom from home has been something that they really like. So it just remains to be seen how, you know, how long this is going to last and if they're going to be real permanent changes. But I mean, I suspect, and this is just, you know, I don't have any crystal ball at all. I'm not pretending that I do, but hmm. I just suspect that there, there will be some pretty permanent outcomes and we will be doing business slightly differently going forward, but who knows? Sure. Yeah. Obviously, when it comes to connecting with clients, there are educational issues to overcome. But I'm curious about the kinds of issues that you might run into when seeking out the ranks of advisors and academics that the Academy has access to. And the reason that I ask is because I spoke with Curtis Cloak last year, I believe, and Uh He told me about his initial sort of aversion to reverse mortgages before he started to look deeper in it. So what are some of the remaining challenges that you run into when, or or just the academy in general runs into when looking to expand the ranks of advisors and academics that the organization has access to? Yeah. So Curtis, I think was, you know, referring to the fact that many of the broker dealers, the compliance end of the business have prevented their advisors, actually prevented them, you know, even in some cases, fined them for having a conversation about a reverse mortgage. So back in 2014, I think we, uh, Dr. Barry Sachs called FINRA. And uh, because they had an alert out there that said, you know, only use a reverse mortgage as a last resort. And he just basically, as only somebody with his kind credentials can do, you know, a PhD in physics from MIT and Harvard Law, and called them. And if we called them, we wouldn't have gotten a call back. We wouldn't have gotten a call back. But Dr. Sachs calling him, he said, your math is wrong. (laughs) And that got their attention. And so FINRA removed that. But unfortunately, uh, the, the last resort warning, but unfortunately, people don't know what they don't know, including financial advisors. And they're still running around, you know, saying, well, FINRA doesn't allow us to recommend a reverse mortgage. And so, and their compliance officers, you know, often don't either. And so the academy, we were at task force then, but I, I went to, the uh, National Meeting of Compliance Officers. So after I did that, their keynote speakers were SEC, which you'd expect, but the FBI. And so they are really, you know, sort of compliance people are really on the hook for what their people are doing and saying, and they watch them very, very carefully. So it's not reverse mortgage, to the extent that they've even thought about reverse mortgages. It's not the bad reputation of reverse mortgages so much as just, you know, putting policies and procedures in place for something that could be misused. And if there's no revenue stream coming from making a recommendation for a reverse mortgage, literally, why should they bother? I mean, it's a, it's a structural problem. So, you know, we're working on it. We've got, uh, I would say, at least at least five broker dealers that have dropped their prohibition 
from speaking about reverse mortgages. But, you know, just the continued publicity, you know, the work that's coming out of the academy, the work that you do, the work that other reporters in the financial services do, the books that are written, you know, all of this just continues to contribute to knocking their heads against the wall and saying, you you just can't continue to ignore this. The research is there. Mm-hmm. And you're not doing your clients a favor by saying, I don't touch the house or I'm not allowed to touch the house. Sure. Huh. Very understandable. And it's it's good to hear that uh, that there's positive momentum in that direction. I think that our listeners will find that reassuring if they weren't already aware of it before. But um, in terms of, of where the industry is right now, and based on everything that you see between your involvement with the Academy, your work for a major lender, what would you say the state of the reverse mortgage industry is right now, given everything that the country and the world is going through and the effects that have already transpired on the business? Well, I, you know, from where I sit, we've been fairly inoculated. Housing values are still high. We haven't had a big drop like we had in the Great Recession. And interest rates are so low. I mean, we everybody's busy. And I can tell you that working at, at home has not hindered our operations folks one bit. I mean, they have... They took their laptops home uh, in March, and they have really rallied. I mean, they have they have met the challenge. So, long term, you know, not being able to get in front of planners and realtors and builders, who knows what the future holds? But so far, we've we've been incredibly lucky. You know, we have a lot of confidence in reverse mortgages um, going forward. But I mean, you never you never know what's going to happen. I mean, the the market turbulence caught everybody by surprise in March. And then the, and then the, you know, talk about volatility, then the, then the market went right back up. I mean, who can predict, who can predict what's going to happen? But we do know that if you are prepared with either having retired your monthly mandatory mortgage payment by replacing it with a reverse mortgage and thus reducing your mandatory expenses or setting up a line of credit so that you've got that alternative to turn to if, when liquidity disappears in the market, that, you know, you're, you're feeling a whole lot better about your retirement. In fact, we got a, an unsolicited email from a client who took out a reverse mortgage line of credit in 2013. He said, I know you don't remember, this is in March. I know you don't remember, latter part of March. I know you don't remember me, but I set up this line of credit, you know, and now I have $540,000 in my line of credit. And with everything that's going on health-wise, you know, potentially health-wise and financially, you can't imagine how, what peace of mind this is for me to know that I can just call up a phone number and get access to this kind of cash. Yeah. That advantage speaks for itself. I'll, I'll, I'll just say, well, just to, to kind of close us out, is there anything you can tell us about plans that the Academy has for the future? Obviously we at RMD are looking forward to having you and Craig Lemoyne at our upcoming virtual HEQ event in September, but is there anything else that you have cooking? Yeah, well, as I I mentioned earlier, so Craig will be presenting the results of the survey, which just was available this morning. And again, you know, that's kind of on the state of credit decisions amongst financial advisors and obviously education and experience being the key 
Sadly, we had to postpone our symposium now twice, so we probably will not be able to do this now until maybe second quarter. I mean, who knows, but now we are thinking second quarter of 2021. And this is disappointing because we were really looking forward to bringing together leaders like Mr. James Blackledge of the CEO of Mutual of Omaha. Uh, Ron Carson and, you know, thought leaders in the, from the associations and financial regulatory and academic worlds. But we will be back. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a good note of optimism to, to close out on. So, <laughs> Shelly, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the RMD podcast today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It was a pleasure, Colonel. Have a good afternoon. I hope you get to see some baseball tonight. <laughs> you and me both. Thanks for listening to episode 15 of the RMD podcast. Again, a very special thanks to Shelly Giordano for being so generous with her time in talking about the efforts of the Academy for Home Equity and Financial Planning. For more news and insights on the reverse mortgage industry, be sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter at reversemortgagedaily.com. If you haven't already, subscribe to the RMD podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast content. I'm Chris Clow, and this has been a production of Aging Media Network in Chicago, Illinois. See you next time.